This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, before we get the show started, Horse Radio Network for the first time has a wide selection of Horse Radio Network merchandise available for the holidays. Hats, saddle pads, masks, clothing, mugs, and so much more, either screen printed or embroidered. Get your orders in now for you or your HRN listening friends. Visit horseradionetwork.com and click on the banner on the homepage today. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 12th, episode 2558. Today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Horseware. The Hit'em crew is out and about gathering intel for upcoming episodes, so sit back and enjoy this gathering of previously aired masterpiece training tips from Mary and me from previous episodes. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 9th, episode 2178. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horseworld. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in-depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Welcome back, Mary. Mary's here the second Thursday of every month to hang out and geek out on all things training. How you doing, girlfriend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All things considered. (laughs) All things considered. Now, it just occurred to me that we're constantly welcoming new listeners into our shows here on the Horse Radio Network. And there might be a certain percentage of folks out there who are not familiar with Mary Kitzmiller. Could you give me a 30-second bio on Mary Kitzmiller? Only 30 seconds. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll give so, you 45. Hey, yeah, go Perfect. Perfect. So I'm a horse trainer and clinician, and I'm based in Kemp, Texas. And my background is uh, kind of a Western performance background. Uh, I'm probably best known for doing tons and tons of Mustang makeovers. Um, and doing those led me to do really exciting things with Road to the Horse, doing the wild card competition. And I just kind of go all over doing clinics and and uh, and I have this monthly podcast. Dun, dun, dun. So that's Mary Kitzmiller. And Mary Kitzmiller, who's here the second Thursday of every month, you recently made a little road trip to a place called Bruno. And before we get to our Bruno trip, that's going to be our opening salve this morning. We're going to have a little training tip later on and after that. We're going to chat a little bit about um, the importance or, or thinking about when the horse is actually doing the learning. Is he learning it right now? Is he learning it later? Is he learning it when we're not looking? And then as is our habit on Mary's training episode, we're going to take some questions from listeners. And one brave listener by the name of Kristen is going to come on live and chat with us about her training issue. And of course, we're going to toss in there a little song and we're going to change it up this time because Mary gets to choose from three different songs, all of which celebrate different parts of your trip to Bruno. And we're going to let you decide which part of that trip you want to celebrate with your song. So let's 
get started here. Where is Bruno and why did you go there? Uh, Bruno is in Idaho. It's about an hour um, south of Boise, thereabouts. And it is in the middle of nowhere. And it's amazing. Um, I, I never thought of Idaho as like, oh, I just really want to go to Idaho. But now I want to move there. Every place. <laughs> Every time I go out west, I'm like, I must move here. I just, you know, I uh, I love the west. Um, so I went up to Bruno. Um, I have ridden a number of times with a horseman known as Martin Black. And he is a protege of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt. And he's an amazing horseman. Uh, and he's got... Uh, a really nice ranch out in Bruno. And then there's a lot of public lands out there. And uh, a lot of these guys run their, run their cattle out there. And it's, it's like, it's stepping back. You're in the old West. That's how it's done. It's not, it's not a costume. It's not a role they're playing. That's really how it still is. Um, So I went up there. We, I went up there for cult starting. They were starting all of their cults this year. Uh, so he had a couple working students uh, there, one from Brazil, one from Germany, and a guy from Iowa, and then me. Um, so I got invited to go up there and start Colts, and I've started Colts a couple of times with Martin before, and he has a really amazing and unique take on it. And then I came up a little bit early because uh, this is the time of year when a lot of these ranches out west are branding their cattle. And they tend to do it a little bit different than other states. Like in Texas, most of the time you either load your cows up into a trailer and you take them to the vet and they run them through shoots and they do branding and they castrate and vaccines and, and all of that kind of, you know, just good stockmanship practices that you do with your cows to keep them healthy and keep them identified. But up there, it is still the way they've been doing it for many generations, which is you go out into the wilderness and you gather cattle um, and you bring them to a catch pen and then we uh, roped them to brand them. So one, the way that uh, there's a di- few different styles that people do to brand their cattle, but the way we did it was one person would he- would uh, catch the cow around the horns or the, around the, not the horns, their calves. Um, they would rope the head and then someone else would rope the heels. And then you gently uh, stretch the calf out and there, then there's a ground crew who comes in and lays them down. Now, and let's... We give- yeah, it was interesting yeah. that you chose the word gently because I think the only time people, most people, have ever seen a, a calf, what you're calling stretched out, where there's one rope on the front end, one rope on the back end, it's in a rodeo situation. Can be right, just startling to say the least. That's not the way it's done yes. in real cattle work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, there's team roping, which is what you would see in the rodeos, like NFR and that kind of stuff. And that's a timed event, and it's a competition. So you are trying to catch that cow and stop that cow and heal that cow as fast as you can. So uh, to do that, in that's a different. Pra- <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah. I mean, there's ropes involved. There's horses. That's about where the similarities end. To do it in a practical setting, meaning we need to catch this calf and doctor it and give him all the vaccines and stuff he needs and check him over, make sure he's okay, and to brand him, 
um, it would be really silly to do that as fast as you can because you don't want to upset your stock and worry them. And it's it's one of those things where going faster will actually take longer. You want the cattle to stay calm. You don't want them running around and getting scared and running over fences and trying to jump fences. Um, everything from sorting the calves out that we needed to brand to getting them into the catch pen, um, it needs to be slow and gentle. Um, because even, you know, I know there's a little bit of pushback against cowboys and, um, you know, oh, they don't care about their stock. It's completely untrue. Um, they're very, very diligent and, um, and they do care about them. And even if you made the argument like, oh, they don't, they don't really care about their cattle, um, at the very least it's an investment. This is their livelihood. So they don't want anything getting hurt or, you know, losing weight by running around and being stressed. It's all done you know, really, really calculated. It is. And it takes a great deal of skill. Um, Yeah. You have to just be, be so patient and just, (gasps) yeah, exactly. It's very (laughs) Zen like, (laughs) yeah, it's very, very Zen like. Um, so, so that's what we did. I'd never been to a branding before. Um, I was a total fish out of water. I felt like a total, you know, doofus doing it. But it was it was an amazing experience. It was really so we did that before we actually started the Colts that week. And uh it's the closest to Lonesome Dove I've ever felt. Because I mean <laughs> So we were it was out. a it was a a, a multidisciplinary trip in that you did lots of different things. You did some branding and then the second part was Colts. Yes. So how long yes. did you, how, how many days did you br- do branding? Uh, branding we did for uh, a couple of days. Um, and cause I was kind of on the tail end of everyone doing the branding. Um, and you know, I tried to explain that I've never done this before. I've never day worked before and done real cowboy stuff in that sense. Um, <laughs> but you know, the people up there, because that's, they live that every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, They kind of assumed that I knew more than I did. Uh, I got sent out with this really sweet uh, girl in her early twenties who, and we got sent out together to make sure the catch pins were ready and to start bringing cattle in. And uh, she was like, just go up on that hill and go bring those cows in. And I'm like, uh, Okay. <laughs> so so she was she was out on the four-wheeler checking to see where everything was and I I just rode this horse that I barely knew uh up on this hill to bring these cows up and I'm like, "Well, I hope it I I hope I'm doing it right." I didn't get yelled at too bad. Um and the other thing uh so I I have a slight terrifying fear of heights and uh in Texas there're not a lot of hills where I am in Texas, not a lot of up and down hills uh, or mountains or anything of that sort. Uh, so, you know, I'm on this horse. I don't really know. They're like, she's got about 60 rides and I'm like, okay, so, so green, pretty green. She ended up being amazing. Um, but you know, you had to go straight up these hills to, to get these cows. And I'm talking like when I was coming down the hill, my horse's butt was like at the level, like, like right behind my ponytail. So I'm trying not to whimper like a baby. And at one point I'm pushing against my saddle horn and leaning back because I'm going down this hill. And this, this girl looked at me, she goes, Oh yeah, you're a flatlander. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I don't do hills. 
Um, and actually at one point we, uh, when we were going to look, look for cattle one day, we went down this like snowy river steepness drop. And one of the cults that the working student from Germany was on, um, this was his first ride that year. And, you know, he got, the horse got warmed up. They, we knew that the horse was a little cold backed and could be a little bronchy. So we warmed the horse up, made sure everything was okay, took, hit a long trot out to this hill. Everything's going good. But what had happened was the colt was like, you know, full of air. And when, when this kid first cinched him up, but once he relaxed and we're trotting out, he'd let out, you know, oh, no. It yeah. was the loose girth, the loose girth so, problem. Yeah, we're oh. going down this vertical drop, and the saddle slips forward, and the colt's like, "Now I'm going to buck," and so this horse is bucking on the side of this hill, and um, everything was okay. The saddle ended up coming off, but everyone was fine. No one was hurt. It was all good. But the whole time, I'm just like, "I have to get down this hill right now. I'm going to die. This is awful." Um, so it was very Western. It was very cowboy. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was probably, uh, the most harrowing experience between, you know, if, if I had to compare, which was more scary to me starting Colts or doing that, I would say that easily. <laughs> interesting. Wow. And you've, you've started a lot of youngsters. So that's an, an interesting take on it. Wow. Well, there's more that happens in Bruno. But we're going to save that for a little bit later in the show, because now it's time for our training tip. And Mary always comes up with something that really gets you thinking. So what are you going to challenge our gray matter with this month? Okay, so this is something that I've believed for a very long time about uh, when in training or outside of training does a horse like take in the information we're teaching them and process it and learn and make these new connections in their brain. Um, and uh, I've, I've started understanding this concept when I was first learning to train horses um, in that I would hear the term from a lot of people like he needs to soak, let him soak on that for a little bit. And by soak, um, I'm talking about during the ride, giving the horse a break uh, as in, okay, we've just loped four circles and, and he's, he's, he needs to stop and think for a little bit. And we would just bring the horse to a stop, give him nice loose rein, stay out of their way, don't bother him, let him just breathe and just think for a little bit. Uh, so that's a good example of what I would call soak time. The other uh, time I would say is after the ride, you, you know, you've cooled off the horse, you've hosed him off, and we would, uh, many places I worked, we'd let him stand tied for a good amount of time before we put them away, you know, mostly to keep them from rolling in their stall after they've had a bath, to let them catch their air, um, but also just to teach them, hey, there's going to be situations where you need to stand tied for a few hours and you need to be okay with that. So we started that really early, getting, get, uh, allowing just part of to, what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Allowing them to build that mental stamina because to me, it's unfair if you don't ever tie your horse for a period of time and then you go to a show and you want them to stand tied to the trailer all day in a scaring parking lot with lots of things happening. That's a good recipe for disaster. Uh, at the very least, you can cause a lot of fear and stress in your horse. So we would do that a lot of time when the horse was young to get them used to standing quietly. Um, and I had a guy, I, I asked a guy I was working for, like, why do you tie him for so long after you're done riding? And he goes, oh, it lets them soak. It lets them learn. And I'm like, really? That's 
that tying makes them learn about and he 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 talked about it specifically like lets them think about the ride and it didn't make a lot of sense to me at a t- at the time but the more i trained the more i realized that was true when horses really take in the information we're giving them um and and you know improve what they're doing is not during the maneuver it's in the moments after when you get out of their way and just let them process um you know, an analogy I would use is whenever I was in college, and of course, I never just studied when I should have. I crammed the night before. That's how I did it. But no surprise there. I know, right? Uh, So I'd be, you know, reading and taking notes and doing this all nighter. And there was always a point in my brain where I was like, I can't, I can't process anymore. I have to stop. And Um, I always did much better no matter where I thought I was in my studying, whether I felt I was prepared or not. I always felt I did much better if I just closed my book and went to bed. Um, And doing it that way, instead of studying right up until the moment where I had to do the test, uh, I I, I always felt like I retained information much better by just giving my brain that break. And so I've always believed this. I've always, uh, I'm really, really big. For those of you guys, I get questions all the time. My horse won't stand still. He gets nervous at the show. He won't stand still on the trail. Um, it's because uh, there's many reasons, but a lot of it is because you're not practicing it enough at home. Don't just, you know, trot or lope for an hour and then put your horse up. Do something with your horse um, where you are compelling them to learn. So, you know, you're, you're working on a new maneuver. And once you get to a good spot, stop for a minute, sit on your horse, five minutes, get your phone out on Facebook if you want to, you know, within reason, be safe. Um, but just get out of your horse's way and let them process. Um, they do more learning in those standing still times than they would if you just continue to drill on the exercise. Drilling is not what makes them learn. It's that soak time. So um, I always believed it. And then I, I really got more insight into this uh, in Bruno because we were very lucky to have uh, Dr. Stephen Peters up, um, who some of you may know have he's collaborated with Martin on a book called Evidence Based Horsemanship. It's a terrific book because you've got the anecdotal evidence from Martin, who started thousands and thousands of horses. And then you've got uh, someone who's a neuroscientist um, who can actually say, here is here are the chemical reactions that are happening in the horse's brain that we can actually look at and prove this is what's happening. This is what their thought process is. So one of the things that Martin brought up that really kind of made me go, aha, was he was talking about working cattle with the horse and you would get the horse to do something with the cow and then give the horse a little break and let him think about it. And usually uh, what happens after the horse has been in a high stress situation, you're working a cow or you're doing some sort of high powered maneuver. As soon as you kind of let them stop and break, they will do this licking and chewing, uh, which we've always been told, you know, you want them to lick and chew. It's a sign of relaxation. And it, it's just a sign that they're kind of getting all those good chemicals going in their brain and they're letting down. And I've seen that hundreds and hundreds of times training horses. But he said what he learned to do instead of giving the horse a little break and then going back and drilling on the cow again, he would sit there longer and the horse would lick and chew once and then he'd stop for a moment. And a few moments later, he'd lick and chew again. 
And then he'd stop for a moment. And then a few moments later, he'd lick and chew again. And I actually tried this on one of the horses I was training on up there one day. And my normal instinct would be to give him a little break and then go right back into it because we need to practice this more. But I saw the exact same thing that Martin had spoken about. I was working with softness in the hackamore with this filly. And I got her to a really nice place. And I said, okay, let's just stop. And so same exact thing happened. She looked and chewed. And the moment where I would normally pick up the reins and go again, she instead looked, you know, I waited and she looked and chewed again. And then she did, you know, for over like five minutes, she just sat there licking and chewing. And that to me is a, is a good sign that the horse is really taking in what you're teaching them. So my tip would be based on all that information would be, um, take more breaks when you ride. Um, this usually, this licking and chewing phenomenon, this sort of letting down, relax, processing information usually occurs after a period of stress. And when I say stress, I don't mean like you're terrifying the horse or forcing him to do anything. It's just the stress of training where, you know, it's like studying for a test. That's a stress situation or working a high power job. That's a stress situation. So it doesn't, I'm not meaning bad when I say stress, but you know, once you've done something with your horse, whether you're trotting over cavalettis or you're working on a certain maneuver or you're doing obstacles, um, give them that break and let them think about it. You're going to do two things. You're allowing them to learn and process information, which is going to be way more effective than if you had simply drilled the maneuver 10 times. Work on it once or twice, get to a good spot, let them rest. The other thing you're going to do is you're going to build that patience and that desire in the horse. My horses, when I put the reins down and say, have a break, they're like, oh, thank God. They love standing still and just taking that in. I work on that a ton at home so that when I'm at a show and I have to sit and wait, you know, I'm getting ready to go in the class and I've got to wait a few minutes. That horse doesn't lose his mind and get really ang- you know, anxious because he's not used to standing still. They know when I put my hand down on your neck and give you that loose rein, ah, okay, this is my time. I get to just chill out. It really helps them to appreciate that time. There we go. So take breaks that are a little bit longer. Because we're all, when, when you go out and you and you practice with your horse and you're, you're training today versus just hacking around, um, we kind of get into that zone where, okay, we're going to take a break and maybe walk around on a loose rein. And what seems like forever was in fact three minutes. Exactly. Now, question for you. Training my horse, do you feel like being still, in other words, at a halt, is going to be more effective than letting the horse walk or intentionally telling the horse to walk? Is there going to be a difference, do you think, in their how much they're going to process and how thoroughly they're going to process? Because in the Western culture... Standing a horse and being still, you have them come to a halt, you give them the reins and you don't move at all, is a common training ingredient, whereas in the English culture, not so much. I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but they are very different. You don't often see that happen in any English discipline. So what's your take on the fact that the horse is being still? Do you feel like that is going to give them a better opportunity to get that gray matter to really absorb the lesson? So I don't have any like scientific proof on hand that one is better than the other, but my instinct is to go more towards standing still because horses, um, 
they're taking in so much um, at a time. They they oftentimes lack the ability to block out the stimuli around them like we can because they're on Hyler all the time. That's why oh, like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe on leaving in leaving like radios on all night in a barn. I don't think a horse is physically able to stop hearing that noise over and over. They can't block it out like we could. Um, so I think walking, um, they're still kind of like press, you know, they're still kind of looking around and on a little bit of an alert, um, you know, mode. However, I don't, not to say that I never walk them around on a loose rein. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons that I would, uh, one being if your horse is breathing hard and it's like a really hot day and he needs to cool down, walking is going to be very good for him. So I do a lot of loose rein walking. It's also something you want to practice, especially people that ride dressage. You're going to do that free walk across the diagonal where you're giving him that rein and letting him stretch out. So, so it's a good Thing to practice for sure. As far as which one would get, you know, between walking and halting, which is going to allow more information to seep into the brain. Again, I have no proof, but I I like to just stop everything. Um, my only disclaimer, my only caveat about this is a colt with very very few rides. I will let that colt stop and think, but I'm always going to be doing a little something because. Uh, on a brand new baby colt, just a few rides, you know, under 10, 20 rides. Uh, if you stop and, and don't do anything on that colt, they can kind of, I don't want to say they forget you're up there, but, um, they can get in a little bit of trouble. So I, so walking on a colt like that would be really good or, I'll let them have a break, but I might just kind of lightly flex them a little bit or at the very least, like move back and forth in the saddle just to let them know I'm still here. It's still okay. You're fine. Otherwise, with a colt like that, sometimes they they sort of forget about you a little bit. And then when you ask them to walk again, they're like, oh, you know, they get really surprised. Um, so on a very, very green horse, I'd prefer walking or doing something over just complete standstill and yeah. clocking out. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of get it. I can see where having ridden a few and, and started a few horses that if you just stop and do nothing at all, they might go, oh, shoot, that's what we're doing, isn't it? Yeah, that would make sense. Um, interesting. And that is very interesting. Now, Nigel, who I is, is my horse for unfamiliar listeners, I have found appreciates and finds rewarding the stand still and he, he takes in things and processes it and he considers that like yay i did something right i get to take a break and stand perfectly still which is a little bit unusual for your typical off the track thoroughbred um you see more of them that would just as soon move around so that's interesting and i'll have to try it sometime with scooter because you never know where scooter's going to be scooter is our hackney pony and sometimes he needs to be st he thinks still is cool and sometimes he thinks move around is cool so i'm going to try that exactly. next time i take scooter out and you know if this is something new to you and new to your horse uh what can often happen i get this a lot not so much with my colts but with ho training horses that i'm restarting or putting more rides on um, is they don't have this habit built in already and they might have a lot of anxiety. So let's say you do something great with your horse and you're going to try this, like, let's just stand still on a loose rein and they can only stand for 10, 20 seconds and then they got to move again. Um, when that happens, they're not in trouble. I will not punish them for moving because usually they're moving because of anxiety. 
They don't know what to do. Um, so if I get after them, they're just going to feel more anxious and really not want to stand still. Um, yeah, and there won't be any absorbing that way. Nope. Yeah. So if I drop the reins and give that to them, like I hear I'm allowing you to stand and they don't want to, they just can't, um, then, okay, breaks over, let's work again. And not not in a sense of, well, if you don't appreciate this break, I'm going to make you. you know, <laughs> it's not that. You got to change your, yeah. Don't have that mindset. It's you know, if they can't, if they just can't do it, if, you know, um, it's, it's then I'll more, say, okay, well, let's, yeah, it's more of a case yeah. of you can't, you don't want to say, okay, that's fine. Let's go do some work. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like an opportunity. Oh, you've got, you still got energy in your feet. Okay. Well, I did want to work on side passing or I did want to work on trotting around a little bit and then I'll offer it to them again. And if it's a horse, I've had horses that have a very severe problem of not being able to stand. Um, so if I know that that horse can stand for 20 seconds, um, then I'll offer him that break and I will bring him out of it myself at 10 seconds and say, great, you made it 10 whole seconds. That's great. You know, start with the goal you can achieve. And then later when I offer it to him again, I'll say, okay, well, can we try for like 15 seconds this time? You know, I'll find a starting point and build from there. And the horse, you know, even the most high powered off the track, straight, you know, straight off the racetrack horse can eventually over time learn to take what you're giving them and say, okay, I'm going to stand now. And if you make it a good experience, and I see this time and time with clicker training, where I actually reward them with food, like, wow, you stood still for five whole seconds. Those horses, even the hottest, most anxious horses over time with practice can go, oh my gosh, I could stand here for an hour. And it's, it's something, how many times, I've said this before, many times, like half our horse's life is us needing them to stand still, standing <laughs> tied to the trailer. Yeah, standing for the vet or farrier, um, waiting for our class to go. Like I don't have time to go ride him around because I'm I'm in the hole, you know, waiting yep. to go in. Yep. He needs to stand for a few minutes before we go in. Or you've done your on the rail class. The judge has called you for the placings. You've got to stand. I've seen people get flipped over with in a lineup because a horse could not stand for that long. They couldn't handle it. So you've got to practice this at home. So it's a good thing to help them learn. And it's a good practical thing. Think of all, if you think about it with your own horse, think about all the times where you need that horse to stand still. It's worth practicing. It's every bit as valuable as working on your lead changes or your jumps or your obstacles. It's, it's a really important part of horsemanship. I can't agree anymore. And part of horsemanship is taking good care of your horse and making sure his body is protected from biting insects. It's that time of year. So uh, I think you had a little bit of something to say about something that horseware makes for protecting our horses from bugs. Yes, it's definitely that time of year. Flies are here and you want to offer your horses the maximum in protection with the Rambo protector. And I think this is the the sheet that I have for Guthrie. It's definitely a Rambo sheet, which it's it's already starting. He's starting to get the welts. So I need to go home and get on that right now. And the Rambo Protector is specifically designed to offer superior protection from both flies and sunlight. It's made from unique patented fabric that is super soft and comfortable. This fly sheet provides both UV protection and max maximum breathability. The Rambo Protector offers maximum coverage with its V-front closure and sure-fit neck design, improved hood shape for greater coverage when grazing, supersized tail flap, leg arches, belly protection. That's a big one for Guthrie because he gets really bad um, 
sores on his belly if I don't have that flap. Yes. So every time I look for a fly sheet, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And it's got three straight surcingles. This fly sheet also features a tail strap and shine enhancing polyester shoulder and mane lining. So it's got really good lining so it doesn't rub on their shoulders. Because if your horse is itchy like mine is, he's going to try rubbing with his sheet. (laughs) Fly sheet also, okay, I've already been through that. It's created in extremely durable fabric. The Rambo Protector is built to protect your horse for many seasons. Visit horsewear.com for more details and find a retailer near you. There we go. Well, we're ringing up our guest, Kristen Kovach-Bentley. And why don't you kind of intro what her question is all about, Mary? So Kristen has a very Western-themed question because she's talking about the turnaround. So some of you guys might not know what is meant by the term turnaround. Uh, It's got a few different names. In reigning, we might call it a turnaround or a spin. Uh, It could be called a turn on the haunches if you're thinking in dressage terms. So basically what this maneuver is, is the horse, you want them to plant uh, their weight on their hind end, preferably planting an inside hind foot and they're going to pivot their shoulders around so they're going to spin around that inside hind foot so um, it can be a really fast spin like you see in the raining where the horse spins around really fast for time uh, for uh, four cycles in the reining pin uh, but it can also be a really slow and easy going maneuver and whether you're riding western or english it's something uh, worthwhile to teach your horse because it's it's just uh, helps you get better body control all around and better maneuverability with your horse well welcome to the show Kristen. are you ready yes how's it going it's going good so you have a question um and i assume is this a thoroughbred you're training a turnaround with yep yeah we're making a range cow horse debut this year so oh awesome that's gonna be so cool um okay so what's your question with the turnaround so uh, i was describing this to my husband last night and he's like your horse just has a really good compass so, <laughs> so <laughs> i feel like he's understanding you know the pieces that are going into the turnaround um this horse used to be super herd sour Uh, so we did a lot of work last year to get him, you know, over that for the most part. Um, and I feel like the herd sourness is now manifesting itself in our turnaround practice, which is super irritating. So uh, he'll get, if we start, let's say we start facing home, he'll get a good 360. And then when he gets back, you know, to the 12 o'clock on the clock or North where he's facing home, then he's done. And if I start with 90 degrees to go, then he gets a good 90 and then he gets to facing home and he's done. And it doesn't matter which direction we go in. Uh, but once he's facing home, he's like, I did it for good. And, and that's the end of the turnaround. And it's a little bit of a fight to get him to keep going. So to the right, he'll just back up. And then to the left, he actually will swing his butt through my leg and it turns into a turn on the forehand. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh, my head is going left, but my butt is now going right. So, um, so what I've been trying to do is just when we get to that point where I feel him start to quit, I've been trying to just keep driving him forward. So he's getting that, you know, forward motion. Your front feet are moving. Try to put that in. so that's about as far as I've gotten so far. But 
So that is actually incredibly common. In fact, so common that I believe every horse I've ever trained to turn around on has gone through this. Um, so, you know, horses, no matter how much we work on the barn sour, the gate sour, they're always going to be magnetized toward a certain point in your arena or your pasture when you're riding them out. Um, you'll never get that out of them because no matter how much you can make them try and feel bad for going to the barn at the end of the night, where do they go? They're going to go to the barn. They're going to eat their food. They're going to be with their friends. So they're always going to have that tendency to want to lean toward, you know, home. And you'll see this, uh, you, like you said, manifest itself, um, in the turnaround because so, so in case anyone didn't quite get that, you'll have the horse turning really good and pivoting that hind foot just like you want. And then when they're leaning toward the barn, they either want to walk forward out of it. They'll kind of bulge their shoulder out of it. They won't listen to your cues or um, they will plant their front end and turn the hind end around. So, or they'll start spinning. I call it spinning like a Coke bottle where they're spinning around their center. So both their hind end and their back end are moving. Um, And this used to frustrate the heck out of me training reining horses. Um, so, so it's very common. I think every horse goes through it at some point. Um, I'll start by saying what not to do. And I, I know you are not doing this at all, but I've seen very severe reactions, a a severe version of, uh, of what not to do. And it can cause huge problems later on. Um, I worked for a trainer who was very, very aggressive. And his cult started doing this exact same thing. He's turning on his hind end, but then when he would, you know, he might get one good turn in, but every time he was kind of facing that gate where he wanted to leave, it would all fall apart. And so what this guy did was uh, get after the horse, like, nope, that's not what you're supposed to do. So he would use harder cues. He would use more outside spur or work on the horse's face, make him feel bad for leaning toward that gate. And what started as a very, you know, minor yet irritating problem in this particular horse, this is a very sensitive horse and it was a young horse. Um, the horse started going from just bulging that shoulder out or not doing the turnaround properly to actually jumping forward out of the turn. Um, and when he started doing that, this guy got even harder with the horse, like really getting after him and making him feel bad. And instead of the problem getting better, then what started happening was the horse started bolting out of the turnaround and this got worse and worse until the horse was actually running toward the gate and slamming into the gate to get away from this guy so you know you would think that making the horse feel bad for doing the wrong thing would deter him from doing it and then he would try and do the right thing but what was happening with this colt was um, he would get punished then he'd be in fear of punishment so he'd want to escape and where does he want to escape he wants to go home. That's where he feels safe. So it would just, it turned into this vicious cycle. And what started as a very minor problem ended up being a very, very severe problem that was almost unfixable. Um, so like I said, I know that is not what you're doing, but it, it kind of helps highlight. I think about that situation when I have issues like this, realizing that punishment is not always the right answer um, or even making the wrong thing difficult is not always the correct answer. So and when I when I do this and I have a horse that starts this problem, I'm going to try and focus on 
When are you doing it correctly? When can I reward you for doing it correctly? So if you can get three quarters of a turn without the horse screwing up, release them for three quarters of a turn. Even though, you know, it, when you're doing rain cow horse, I think you guys have to do two and a half spins. Um, in the raining, you do four spins. You need that horse spinning many times in that maneuver. But it takes me, I'd say it takes me a year to build a turnaround. Um, you know, you won't have it next month, obviously. Um, so what I will try and focus on instead is I'm going to wait for the moment where his shoulders feel really good. He's swinging those shoulders around freely. He's not leaning into my cues and he's, he gets me, gives me a few good steps and that in the beginning, it'll just be one or two good steps. As soon as that happens, I walk the horse out of the turn in the direction we were facing. And I'll, I'll, this is, uh, so Jen, this is where walking on a loose rein probably would be something I would do over standing still. So as soon as I get those few good steps, I cue him out of the turn and I'm very deliberate with my cue. I'm like, now we're done. So I'll use both legs, push him forward out of that turn and let him walk for a little bit. When I walk out of the turn, and this is going to really help you with your turnaround, especially as it gets better and better, don't walk in the opposite direction you are turning. So what I mean by that, if you're, if you're, let's say you're doing your turnaround and the horse gives you two or three really good steps and you're like, that's good. I'm going to release you from this maneuver because you've done it well. You've done what I asked and I walk them forward, if I was turning to the right, the worst thing I could do would be to walk the horse out into the left because I want this horse thinking, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. So when I walk out of it, um, when my horse does well and I want to walk him straight out of that maneuver, I will either walk him straight forward or I'll walk forward into a, into the right, into a right circle because I want them thinking, turn right, turn right, turn right. So when I work on turnarounds, um, I may do one direction a day, but at the very least, I will, if I'm working on the, so let's stick with the right turnaround. I will work on that right turnaround um, until it's at a good spot before I turn left. So what I mean by that is I'm not going to turn around to the right and then turn around to the left and then turn around to the right and then turn around to the left. I want them thinking we're doing the right turnaround. So we're going right, 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 right. And I'll give them a little break and say, okay, left turn around now. Whoops, drop my microphone. Um, left, 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 left. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that's one really good. And you're probably doing that already. Um, so even though I need my horse to give me several 360s in a row, um, I'm going to release him uh, even if he gives me a few good steps. Uh, if he leans toward the barn, I'm not going to exaggerate my cues anymore. I'm not going to uh, get after him harder because what can happen, let's say your horse is swinging around to the gate and you know he's it's going to fall apart now. So the instinct would be to use that outside leg even harder, to use a little bit more spur, maybe even tap him with a crop on that shoulder. Um I find that is not, I used to do that quite a bit. I find that's not incredibly effective because it'll make their focus, it'll draw their focus more to the outside of their body where you're cueing them harder than it will to staying in that turnaround, staying in that nice uh, turnaround. And sometimes they'll get a little resentful. If you overdo your cues and you're bothering to them to death with that outside leg, 
they will do the opposite of what you think they ought to do and actually lean into it harder. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) yes. So even though I know like you've done this enough that, you know, as soon as you get facing that gate or you're facing home, that horse is going to lean out. He's going to bulge that shoulder. He's going to, you know, or plant that shoulder completely and turn on his haunches. I just keep asking with my cues and I'm going to use the opportunity that's coming up to release him. So when we go around to the gate, he's going to bulge out. It's going to fall apart. I'm just going to keep him in that turn and say, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet. What's going to happen when he's facing the opposite of the gate? You're going to use the barn sour to your advantage. All of a sudden he's going to plan on his, on his hind end and that shoulder's going to free up because he wants, he's like facing the opposite way. So he's going to want to turn to face the way he wants to face. As soon as you feel that shoulder free up, release. So I might go around many, many circles where he turns good for half a circle, then falls out of it, turns good for half a circle, falls out of it. That's okay. As soon as I feel him correct himself, I'm going to release him out of that. And this, uh, it's, it's a very slow, steady, um, improvement. It's not going to happen overnight, but pretty soon he's going to realize, ah, when I'm going around and trying to take her to the gate, I, you know, I, I don't find the release I thought I was going to get, but when I lift my shoulder up and get off of the cues, all of a sudden I get that release and over time it it will improve. Um, so I would say, uh, the other thing I would say is, um, it's very easy to tackle this maneuver by looking at the finished product first and trying to make your horse do that on day one. So the finished product you know, thing that you want to have happen is the horse plants its hind end and frees that shoulder up and moves the shoulder around the hind end and, you know, is light and even has some speed to it. But you won't get that in the beginning. Um, So I don't even focus on, oh, are they planting the inside foot or is their hind end even staying still? Instead, I focus on how free is your shoulder? So oftentimes when I do this uh, exercise for many months, Instead of trying to get them to actually plant and pivot, what I will do instead, um, this is probably how I would tackle this with your horse, is if you're going to the right, walk a small circle. You can walk or trot. If your horse is a little pokey, you can do this at a trot as well to get their feet uh, a little bit more peppy. Trot a, a small circle to the right, so maybe slightly bigger than a 10-meter circle. Um, so I'll trot them in a circle. Get them, make sure they're going forward, whether it's at a walk or trot, they're going forward, they're soft in the bridle. And then I will initiate my cues for the turnaround. So I'll start drawing that horse down. I won't just make them stop and start pivoting. I'll make that circle smaller, smaller, smaller. And pretty soon the circle's going to get so small that they have to pivot. Um, as soon as I can kind of feel them rock back a little bit, and that shoulder is doing a little bit more work than the hind end. They don't have to pivot perfectly. Just as long as you can, all of a sudden you feel that shoulder starting to come around more than the hind end. Then I go back to my circle. I let them out of that turn and go back into my 10 meter circle. And I'll do a couple more circles and then spiral down, 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 down until they pick up that shoulder and swing it through. As soon as I feel that, 
I'll put them back on that circle. It is, I'd say I will be on one for many, many months before I say, before that turnaround starts to look like it's going to look in the show pen, meaning I'm going to stop you. Uh, we're going to start at a standstill. We're going to go right into that spin and then we're going to stop again. If you start trying to do it that way, that's where you're going to run into your problems of your horse backing out of the turn like you're having in the one direction instead of going forward uh, or the horse planting the wrong end and pivoting the hind end around the front end. Um, instead, work on you do a nice forward circle, spiral down, get a couple of steps where you can feel that shoulder crossing over and then release them back into that circle. Um, I would do that over and over again until as soon as you start initiating that turnaround, that shoulder comes through nice and clear and clean and immediate. That's when I'll start thinking about getting more steps in that pivot um, and having it start to look more like an, the finished product, the finished turnaround. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it does. Um, I have a follow-up question, too, about trot circles, if we have time. Um, yeah. Okay. Because I've been talking to a couple of friends about trot circles. And one, um, you know, for years, we'd all been, like, just doing the trot circle and doing the trot circle. And the tendency, you know, is that we just sort of end up pulling them around um, mm -hmm. beforehand. And it doesn't really actually, you know, if you're not doing it correctly, it doesn't help the horse really turn around at all. <laughs> so this friend mm -hmm. of mine mm -hmm. want to bend the horse in and push the hip in first and get that hip kind of engaged and underneath them before you start to really spiral down, which makes sense in theory. And I guess what I'm worried about is I'm just going to end up pushing the hip around the front end if I think too much about engaging that hip in to get the hip underneath. So, okay, so you want the hip like very slightly to the inside of your circle, not a haunches in, but right. kind of in that. So that is something that I do practice a lot. Uh, but in my opinion, that is a very, um, I, w I don't want to say it's an advanced maneuver, but it's sort of like I've, uh, I don't really do Pilates, but if you made me do like a plank and, and hold it for two minutes, right now, like as out of condition as I am for that kind of thing, it would kill me. I, it, I think it takes a, a great deal of, uh, effort for a horse to do. And, um, I, I think it's possible, but I wouldn't oh. drill on it too much at this point. Um, what I would do instead, uh, that's, that's sort of along those lines, instead of feeling like you're pulling the horse around in the circle, is I will kind of set a framework with my hands um, that will guide them into the circle. And instead of pulling them through the circle, I will drive them into my hands from behind. Uh, now, that will actually naturally make the hip engage and uh, a little bit more without actually putting your outside leg back and pushing that hip in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and, it and it's the same with the turnaround. You don't want to pull them into that turn. It's it, To me, it's kind of a push maneuver. Um, you're driving them. It's a very forward maneuver. If you end up pulling on them too much, you'll have the problems of them stepping behind and backing into that turnaround, which will give you major penalties in the show pin. So... Um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about pushing the haunches in so much. Um, in fact, if I have a horse that has a real difficult time with the turnaround, you would be surprised how doing the opposite can actually straighten them up right away. Um, so I had a horse that I was having a very similar problem with the turnaround. He was just kind of leaning into my cues. 
I couldn't make him go past a certain speed. And we, we were starting to fight each other about it. And I knew I didn't want to get into a fight over it and make it a, a dreadful maneuver for him. And I went and rode with this, uh, with Craig Johnson, who's amazing world champion, us equestrian games, champion reigning trainer. And he said, well, can you disengage his hindquarters? How is he with that? And I'm thinking, okay, A, yeah, that's baby stuff. He does that great. I did that first ride. And B, how would kicking his hip away, um, disengaging his hip, make him turn better? That's going to make him do the opposite of what I want him to do. Uh, but I humored him and I went to disengage his hindquarters and lo and behold, he wasn't that good at it anymore because I hadn't practiced it since he was a baby and his hips were really, really stuck. He, I could not get him to move his hip away from my legs. And so instead of working on the turnaround, Craig had me fix that where I would, uh, I would disengage his hindquarters, get him off of my leg and working on that. And then he had me do a maneuver where I would disengage the horse's hip. So if I'm wanting to do a right turnaround, I would push his hip to the left and get him stepping that hip around the front end and get that nice and loose. Once that hip was loose, then I changed my cues and asked him to do a turnaround to the right. And like, lo and behold, all of a sudden we had our turnaround. So I kind of, I, I call it kicking the hip out of the way. Sometimes what the problem is, is the horse is actually engaging their hindquarters to the inside too much and it's not allowing their shoulder to swing through properly and it's it's kind of hard to explain you kind of have to try it i i would i would even try this with the horse it's it's never harmful to disengage the hip we tend to think but that's not what the maneuver is and if i practice this too much he's going to get really good at that and not good at the turnaround Uh, but you'd be surprised how getting that hip loosened up and getting it kind of out of the way and off of your cues can actually make the turnaround better so to do this, I would maybe walk forward in a circle to the right, disengage the hip to the left, and then go into that right-hand turnaround just for a couple of steps. And that might be something, I've done that a couple of times. It sounds completely counterintuitive, but for some reason, it can really free up that shoulder. Yeah, and you know, I feel like that, especially to the right, the way that he, he gets in his own way with the shoulder a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On where I'm like, okay, we're turning around pretty good on the ground, and it just doesn't seem to translate under saddle, but that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to give that a try. You. all the things i'll try everything you know awesome awesome <laughs> well thank you Kristen. i now well, i have stuff to work on at home yeah well thank you mary and jen plenty of homework thanks all right good luck thank you we as equestrians have a lot on our plates in addition to careers and often kids there's the myriad of details of managing your horse's life Feeding schedule, vet records, and of course, what clothes to put on them. Well, guess what? There's an app for that, and it's called HorsePal. HorsePal has a robust range of horsekeeping features, plus Horseware's exclusive rug advisor. Using your local weather forecast and some seriously complex algorithms, it recommends what rugs your horse should be wearing. Plus, the small sensor that comes with it sits inside your horse's rug, continuously monitoring their temperature and measuring the humidity. By tracking all of your horse's data and saving it to your smartphone's app, you will be afforded the knowledge of your horse's comfort when to, and when to change your horse's rugs and keep accurate information. Check out the Horseware mobile and web application today by going to horsepal.com or you can go to horseware.com and click on the Horsepal app link at the bottom of the page. 
horsepal.com or horseware.com. And now it's time for us to take a little break from talking and we're going to play our song. And as I alluded to earlier, we have a choice of three different songs depending upon which aspect of your trip to Bruno, Idaho, you want to celebrate. Here are your choices. We have Dirt by Jared Rogerson. We have... Okay. <laughs> Boots we and... haven't talked about that part. You haven't talked about that part yet. Boots and Pearls by Adrian or Beautiful Day by Templeton Thompson. Ooh, those are all really good. Um, so... I would go with Boots and Pearls just because I love Adrian's music and uh, I, I I really like hearing her her songs. So yeah. let's go it's, with that one. It's all about being a girly girl and a tough gal girl all at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Boots. That's what I wear Pearls Seems fair With my blue jeans Diamond rings And roses in my hair I rode a bronc He was tough The boys all out a lot to you But you know we were all just Living it up and trying to have fun County fair That blonde hair Short denim skirt Up to there The cowboys took their hats Girls all giggle I press the dew Turned up about summertime
Justin from Total Saddle Fit here, and I've got this really cool new product to show you, the Shoulder Relief Cinch, which is specifically for Western saddles. And it's not just a cinch, it actually improves saddle fit and horse comfort. And the way it does that is the center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural girth groove, while the sides are cut back to attach to your saddle's billets a little bit further back and prevents the saddle from being pulled forward over the horse's shoulders. And on top of that, the front of the girth has these cutbacks right here, which give the horse's elbow more space to move and more comfort. In addition to these fitting features, it also comes with multiple choices of liners, fleece or neoprene, all of which are totally washable, interchangeable, and easily removable when you just peel off the Velcro like this. I hope this shows you why we think this cinch is so awesome. So thanks for watching and happy riding. And now it's time to be on to our training tip patience. Now, every day, every month we do a little training tip and every month there is something that happens in your life that kind of inspires the training tip. So take us back, hop in the way back machine and tell us how you got on to this topic. So there were actually two instances that inspired this topic. One was actually a Facebook post from Warwick Schiller, who's been on the show, really fantastic trainer, um, on the same subject. And he was working in a demo with someone's horse who was who liked to play fidget with the lead rope. And he was explaining, you know, the owner was very nervous about this horse having this habit and she'd tried a lot of different things and the horse still wanted to play with the lead rope. And his answer was just to wait. And she's like, well, I tried that. And he said, well, she didn't wait as long as I waited. And he's in a demo in front of a bunch of people who are, you know, I'm sure paying to be there and watch him perform. And he's standing there letting this horse chew on a lead rope. And he said he waited, 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 waited. And finally, the horse just kind of ah, let down, relax. And the whole theme of that post was patience. And I've experienced this myself a great deal when working with horse owners. Um, for instance, the other day, I have a horse in training a really lovely horse. He's a Mustang makeover graduate, um, but he's got a lot of nervous issues, um, like with trailer loading and spookiness, and he just gets really tense. And one of his biggest issues, the catalyst that brought him to my door was he was going to make, his owner was going to go to their property in New Mexico, and she has a new trailer. It's an amazing roomy trailer, but it's a straight load compared to the horse is usually used to a slant load. So now the horse doesn't want to get in the trailer. And when he does, he's a nervous wreck. And she says, I don't want to haul him all the way to New Mexico in this state. Um, so she brought him to me to tackle these uh, issues of nerves. So I've had him a few weeks and I hadn't trailer loaded him yet. I was working on some other basic things and getting him to relax. And she came out and brought her trailer and we're, uh, we're loading him. And, uh, 
it took me, I just, I just spent, I don't know, a couple of hours with him and we didn't actually get him on the trailer. And for me, that wasn't the goal. I just want to see, you know, where we're at and what are the things that are triggering him not want to go on. Um, the horse, we didn't have to take him anywhere. So there was no reason if he wasn't ready to, you know, throw him in the trailer and slam the door shut. So I'm just working on it, working on it, working on it with him and taking our time, doing a lot of approach and retreat. And I could tell the owner's getting very, you know, nervous. She's like, I'm so sorry you're out here having to do this for this long. And do you think it's because of this? And do you think it's because of this? And he, see, he always does this. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, no, this is, this is training. If, if it takes a couple of hours or if we work on it for a little while and we don't get it done today, no big deal. And where I have the benefit of um, hard-earned patience um, is because I have spent many, many hours over many, many years loading tons of strange horses. And sometimes it's gone really well, and sometimes it's been really frustrating, and it's taken hours and hours and hours. But um, I've always succeeded eventually. I might have to change what I'm doing. I might have to give the horse a break. I might have to take a breather, but I've always gotten it done. So now when you hand me a horse that won't get in the trailer, I, I'll just wait them out um, because I know eventually this will happen. And whatever the horse has to go through to, to feel comfortable enough to step in the trailer, I'm going to wait with them. And I think we're a lot of horse owners. Um, aren't don't have that kind of stamina aren't able to do that is because they haven't had the benefit that I've had of working with lots and lots of different strange horses maybe the horse that won't get in the trailer this is the first time they've ever dealt with it and because they haven't tackled this issue many many times and succeeded many many times it's very easy to think I'm not doing something right or my horse is doing something wrong or just getting nervous that it's taking longer than I thought it should take. And what I'm hoping I'm able to share with people is just wait them out. It's no big deal. Obviously, practice these kinds of things when you don't have a deadline, when you don't have to get, you know, down the road and to the vet or, you know, to the to your friend, meet your friends on a trail ride. But you know, work on this when you have all the time in the world. It's an old saying, act like you have all the time in the world. It'll take five minutes. Act like you have 15 <laughs> minutes, five minutes. It's going to take all the time in the world. And um, just because your horse isn't doing the right thing, it doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Um, sometimes that's just the time it's going to take today. And it doesn't mean your horse is bad. It doesn't even mean you're doing the wrong thing. It's just this is what we're dealing with. And it's going to be very difficult for you to determine whether you're doing the wrong thing if you don't give it ample time to work. Now, there have been many times where I've worked on something for hours and then finally said, nope, this isn't the way to go. And I had to switch. But I gave it tons of time to to try and work. So uh, whatever, wherever your threshold is for when you start getting nervous, like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. You know, learn to stretch that out and wait it out. Don't get offended by your horse. Don't let it upset you. It doesn't, again, it, it you know, me, a professional horse trainer, sometimes I'm still out by the trailer for hours getting a horse in. It doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. Um, it's just what we're dealing with that day and, and learn that it's not something your horse is trying to, 
do to upset you. It's not even necessarily that you're doing something wrong. It's just we got to wait it out and see it through. So tell me some of the, what are some things that we should be looking for in the human, the technique, and the horse that would tell us that progress is, is lacking because of something we are doing or not doing versus progress is lacking because the horse just needs time. Because sometimes getting something done, for example, loading the horse on a trailer takes three hours because you did things wrong, right? Yeah. What are some things, regardless of what (laughs) techniques we're using, what are some things that we as humans could be doing to cause that to take longer than it should from the horse's point of view? That's a big question, but maybe some red flags. I would say the two biggest red flags, um, one, the horse completely shuts down. So he is not moving. He is not trying at all. Um, he's just letting you put whatever pressure you want on him. And, but he's out to town. So he, if he's I'm gone. looking at my he's horse, out to lunch. I'm putting pressure on, for example, um, I want him to walk and walk towards the trailer, um, with me beside him or behind him versus in front of him. So I try to lead him forward with my left hand sweeping towards the trailer. My right hand has a flag and the flag is moving behind him and he just stands there and ignores me. That's a horse that's shut down. Yeah, you know, if if you've been putting pressure, 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 you've been asking him for a while and there's no discernible change in his demeanor or body position, that means something has to change. Now, sometimes that means add more pressure, add enough pressure that will compel him to do something, anything. Sometimes, and I find this the case to be uh, especially true with mules, is sometimes that means we need to take a break and we need to come back when we're both a little fresh because some types of horses and for sure the long, the long eared equines, um, when they, those sort of close up shop and you could set them on fire and they're going to go, nap. I'll just sit here and burn. I'm not moving. So, so in any case, when a horse is just completely shut down, they're out to lunch, you're not seeing any try whatsoever. Sometimes you have to be more compelling with your pressure or you might need to back off or you might need to learn to release sooner. So change the timing of your release. So the, and he, again, with a trailer, and we always come back to trailer loading because you see so much behavior happen at the trailer. If you can conquer trailer loading, there's there's not a lot you're not going to be able to do. Um, so sometimes when we, we're loading in the trailer, we think all four feet on the trailer, door closed behind them, and that's what the goal is. But some horses, that's going to be way too much. Um, some horses even taking a step forward is too much. So I might learn to release sooner. If my horses stop trying... I might be putting on a little pressure. And if I see them lean forward, okay, I'll take that. I can't get you to take a step, but I got that. I will release that. And you can slowly bring their try back out. Um, I would say another red flag that's sort of the opposite is the horse is completely overwhelmed with pressure and they are doing things that are borderline downright dangerous, like pulling the rope out of your hand, um, running away, running backwards, rearing up. Um, so if you're getting huge reactions like that where, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to be able to hold on to this horse, 
that means you need to change what you're doing. You need to back off, um, less pressure, maybe work on just getting him near the trailer and taking that win instead of trying to get him all the way in the trailer. Um, so I'd say those are the two biggest things is either you're getting huge, enormous, dangerous, terrifying reactions, or your horse is just closed up shop and he's gone and you've got to figure out a way to bring out his try again. Those are the two biggest things that I would say tr- need to trigger some sort of change in what you're doing or how you're doing it. Aha. So common scenario, trailer loading. See it all the time. Give me an ex- instance of perhaps something that we're doing under saddle where the human being in the equation tends to lose patience. Is there something that we're that you you see a lot because you see a lot of clients, you do a lot of demos, you do a lot of clinics. Something that you commonly see that riders work on under saddle that's like, you know, you just need to be patient. Yes. See, I'm putting say... I'm putting Mary on the on the spot here. We didn't talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say, uh, one of the biggest things I see is the horse not standing still for the rider to get on. Um, I was at an arena riding one day and another trainer had come in to, uh, work on some of their horses. I think we were getting a lot of rain and so people were hauling to indoors to ride. And this horse took a couple of steps as she was trying to get on and she immediately took the rain and jerked the horse uh, with the bit in the mouth backwards, a hundred steps, you know, floating his teeth the entire time. So to me that use that kind of stuff did used to annoy me. Like, I need you to stand still. Why are you moving? We've got to get to work, but you've got to think of it as, okay, why are you moving? Are you nervous? Are you upset? Have you not been taught properly to stand still? Um, and having a big emotional reaction on my end to that, most of the time if a horse won't stand still, it comes from anxiety. So ripping them in the mouth and punishing them and making them um, feel frenzied is the exact opposite of what you want to do. That horse is really not going to stand still for you now. So, and I've talked about this before. That's, you know, that might be a day where we work on lining up to the mounting block over and over and over and over again. And that might be all we get done that day. And again, when you really wanted to work on flying lead changes, that can be really frustrating. But to me, that's just signaling where the horse's mind is that day. If I can't get them to stand still for me to mount, I'm not going to have good flying lead changes. It's not going to happen. If I can't get the basics, I'm not going to have the, the advanced stuff. So I'd say that one's a big issue that tends to try people's patience. There you go. So, and that's very interesting and something that I experienced a lot because I spent a lot of time teaching riders is the rider becomes impatient with something, for example, teaching the halt or the stop without, and without putting a whole lot of thought into, okay, I'm trying to teach the horse to halt off of my seat or my voice aid. The horse is trying a little bit, but they're, they feel, feel like they're stuck. Okay. He, he tries a little bit, but he's not getting any better. I'm trying and I'm trying and he's just, it's the same. It's a eh, response um, to do a little self-examination. And so a lot of times, and I found this to be the most common problem teaching the riders is the horse has made the connection, but the horse isn't getting better at the response because the rider is in his way and you're making a better response harder to do. For example, 
I say ho, he should come to a halt quite promptly. But when he tries to halt promptly, you slam onto his back. Or something is happening with the rider physically that is actually making it harder for the horse to give you the right response. You ask for the flying change, but when you do, you accidentally put too much pressure on the inside rein. And he's going, what the heck was that all about? So I'm not going to try real hard. So the patience to um, give yourself time to learn the skill, I think, is is it a one of the ingredients that can be really useful to give the horse time to for him to learn the skill, but give yourself time to learn the skill too, especially if you're one of 90% of human beings with horses that you're learning it together. Well, thank you again, Mary, for stopping by the second Thursday of the month to talk all about training and geek out on horsemanship. For folks who want to appropriately stalk you, contact you to do a clinic or demo, etc., where can they find you? You can find me best places on Facebook under Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. There you go. And uh, we will see you again next month. All right. Sounds great. We'll be back again tomorrow with uh, more horses in the morning. It's a bad ads day. Everybody's favorite day of the week.